it's a real cliche, but like, like Eisenhower did say. I mean, he, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's completely accurate. Like this is what's going to the the, the government is going to be run in an expansive empire, by which like proxy wars are going to be fought. Um, you know, there's going to be all kinds of rhetoric uh, to drum up you know, support for things that are basically unnecessary other than to just build, you know, military contractor jobs at Boeing and Raytheon. I mean, the fucking Secretary of Defense is a Raytheon executive. Of course. I mean, I, I don't know why this isn't, but again. It's yeah, just, I mean, I guess Eisenhower especially knew because uh, it's always sort of questionable how much the presidents themselves know about various things going on, but like, the 50s saw, like, the biggest increase in the national security state and, like, the defense contractor industry. I get His and, like, Truman, basically, because of World War II and the end of that. Yeah, it was certainly set to start. Well, it was the same thing everybody was saying about, you know, sort of executive power. Like, you're doing it now, and you're saying it's bad or it's supposed to be. Then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Well, comrades and friends, uh, this special bonus episode of Highlands Bunker is produced in solidarity with the workers and the people of Iran and Iraq, and in absolute solidarity with our brothers and sisters in occupied Palestine. Um, we got At some point, somebody's got to stop this. Uh, I hope that uh, somewhere in there we can play some of that McChrystal audio. Um, of him basically explaining how there's really no difference between uh, Hassan Soleimani and himself. He knows that. Um, pretty much every thinking person understands that. Um, but It's a big hit on Soleimani, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So what I did today was I went back over a piece um, in The New Yorker that Dexter Filkins wrote in 2013 about Soleimani. It's called The Shadow Commander, I think. We'll link to it. And as you go through it, you sort of are able to, through the story of this one guy, sort of see all the complicated, um, all the complicated proxy wars and conflicts of interests and, you know, where... We'll, we'll ally with somebody secretly here and, you know, in this other context, you know, assassinate him, like in this context. But it's, it's, it's interesting. Soleimani was a, a product of uh, the revolution. Um, he, he has a very interesting critique. I think he wrote a brief memoir that's... Um, sort of briefly discussed in the Filkins piece about uh, himself and a friend at 14 years of age, um, so this is still the Shah, uh, having to go to another town to look for work to pay off his father's farming debt. And, you know, it was a difficult thing. Nobody really wanted to hire him. They were only 14. They had this sort of, you know, weird experience, but they were able to make some money. But the experience basically showed him the way capital and monarchy work. 
uh, because Iran had a socialist leader in the 50s after the war, and that leader was going to nationalize the oil fields, and Britain gave us the word that that was going down. And so we just overthrew Mossadegh and put in the, the king again and let the king rule as a king would rule as our puppet. And, and that's the context in which Soleimani uh, comes up. So he, he's, he gets involved um, in, the, in the revolution um, in 79, and he's, you know, he's a product of that. However, there's an interesting uh, quote in, in the article, and I think it'll shed some light on um, you know, what that all means. Ryan Crocker, the American ambassador to Iraq from 2007 to 2009, got a similar feeling. During the Iraq war, Crocker sometimes dealt with Soleimani indirectly through, an Iraqi, through Iraqi leaders who shuttled in and out from Tehran. Once he asked one of the Iraqis if Soleimani was especially religious. The answer was, not really. Crocker told me he attends mosque periodically, but religion doesn't drive him. Nationalism drives him the love of the fight. So, you know, we in the West always look at this sort of like a, some sort of religious thing. It absolutely is not. Um, you know, this is somebody who came up just in a popular, popular movement um, looking for a way to, you know, unite the Iranian people and create some solidarity. And again, at every turn, uh, they've been fighting proxy wars in their area ever since. That's it. The other interesting thing I, I find is that, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to draw a parallel about sort of what that action uh, would be um, because, you know, we don't have a position in the United States um, like what Soleimani was in Iran. Um, the Quds Force, which is a, a, an arm of the of the uh, Revolutionary Guard uh, is a foreign military force, um, but they do, you know, co covert ops too. So it's sort of like a combination of the CIA and the special forces. If the CIA were also Marines. If the CIA were also Marines. Uh, yeah, so it's super like troops. Super troopers, yeah. But the other thing that, that the other aspect of it is because, um, you know, he was splitting his time between different fields around the region, he also had a, a, a diplomatic aspect to, to his work. And, you know, he arrived uh, over the weekend, or at the end of last week, in Baghdad on a commercial flight um, on a diplomatic errand, uh, it seems like, based on all the evidence that we have. And so there's really, you know, it, it's not the idea that this guy's a terrorist or just like a, a, an outlaw murderer in some sense is propaganda. Um, that's the other thing that I hope people really start to look at is not to swallow the kind of propaganda that they swallow so easily because that's what basically builds, you know, conventional wisdom or consensus is like, oh, well, he was a terrorist. Well, that's that. Uh, he wasn't a terrorist. Um in, in the sense that McChrystal is or isn't a terrorist. I mean, we can make that point if you want to. Um, McChrystal's going to be at the uh, 
the Grand Opera House this month. If you want to go call him a terrorist because Soleimani's a terrorist, I, I go ahead. I wouldn't mind it. Um, now, again, I don't want to use the word problematic. I use it too much. You know, obviously understanding, you know, Soleimani was directly involved in putting down a Kurdish revolt of leftist Kurds in 99. Um, he was directly involved with putting down uh, an uprising of sort of progressive folks in 2009 when there was a disputed election. Um, you know, he, he ain't great. Well, yeah, I mean, it sort of goes back to the same. It's like if the CIA were also Marines. That's not a good thing. It just is what it is. Yeah, I mean, he's a national. He's a nationalist. He was an Iranian nationalist in the way that, like, a military leader would be an American nationalist. But he was also a elected official. Like the sort of, I guess, new accepted term of terrorist that the American government has is somebody that is against us that is also from the Middle East. Uh, because he was a, you know, military leader of a opposing power who did things that uh, we didn't like, obviously, and uh, I think was occasionally involved in things that did get U.S. troops killed. But that is not the same thing as a terrorist as basically anybody would use a description of the word. Doesn't mean that he's like, you know, the nice guy ever or like Osama bin Laden, but that's just how it is. Yeah, and again, what you'll see um, over time is when you're fighting all of these different proxy wars, paths cross. And I just uh, talked about Crocker um, sort of giving uh, his his feeling about maybe Soleimani's um, religious fervor. <clears throat> so this sort of shows you how this stuff sort of ebbs and flows. This is a pretty good. This is a pretty good. Um, Example of it, I think. So this uh, is talking about some co the cooperation between Soleimani and Crocker and the Americans at the uh, at the beginning of the uh, Afghanistan war. Uh, Kurds uh, and Iran basically they they were sort of anti Taliban just as a check in the in the region, so they were cooperating with us um, from the from the get go there. The cooperation between the two countries lasted through the initial phase of the war. At one point, the lead negotiator handed Crocker a map detailing the disposition of the Taliban forces. And this negotiator uh, is uh, a Quds uh, negotiator. It's in, he's indirectly negotiating with Soleimani. <clears throat> um, he says to Crocker, quote, Here's our advice. You hit him here first, then hit him over there, and here's why. Here's the logic. Stunned, Crocker turns to him and says, can I take notes? The negotiator said, you can keep the map. The flow of information went both ways. On one occasion, Crocker said he gave his counterparts the location of an al-Qaeda facilitator living in the eastern city of Mashhad. The Iranians detained him and brought him to Afghanistan's new leaders who, Crocker believes, turned him over to the U.S. The negotiator told Crocker, Haji Qasam is very pleased with your cooperation. The goodwill didn't last long. In January 2002, Crocker, who was by then the deputy chief of the American embassy in Kabul, 
was awakened one night by aides who told him that President George W. Bush in his State of the Union address had named Iran part of the, quote, axis of evil. Many senior diplomats, like many senior dip diplomats, Crocker was caught off guard. He saw, the negotiation, he saw the negotiator the next day in the UN compound in Kabul, and he was furious. You completely damaged me, Crocker recalled him saying. Soleimani is in a tearing rage. He feels compromised. The negotiator told Crocker that, at great political risk, Soleimani had been contemplating a complete reevaluation of the United States, saying maybe it's time to rethink our relationship with the Americans. The axis of evil speech brought the meetings to an end. Reformers inside the government who had advocated for a rapprochement with the United States were put on the defensive. Recalling that time, Crocker shook his head. Quote, we were just that close. One word and one speech changed history. I thought that was pretty interesting. Sort of goes to show that this idea of Trump is sort of a uniquely damaging figure in American foreign policy is kind of silly. Because do you think Bush was like consulting with all of his foreign diplomats when he was making this speech? Like you know, letting everybody know and having like all of the stuff prepared beforehand? No, he just went out and did it. And it was like you know, his speechwriters, his press people, well, you know, famously, they were all pushing it. There's a fame. Now, again, I don't know if it's apocryphal. I, I don't think he's ever denied it. But uh, famous never Trumper David Frum is supposed to have yeah. written the speech. Yeah. He wrote the fucking thing. Re resistance hero David resistance, Frum. Hashtag resistance hero never Trumper David Frum. Yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, all of these things work in a cycle. There's no, there are no... You know we're bad guys. They're bad guys. Nobody is is, is a is a nice actor. You know, the the Quds Force, uh, you know, saved Assad, who is horrible, from ISIS, who are probably worse. So you know, what what do you do? You know, there's a story uh, about really uh, Soleimani cutting his teeth in the Iran Iraq war. And like going out, have you heard some of these? Like Not he's just like this stories. young dude. Like they used to send him out um, and forage behind enemy lines. And his thing was he could, he was always able to find like a goat and he would carry a goat back from the slaughter and eat. So the Iraqis started calling him the goat thief. So he has this like famous, you know, uh, story in that war. But I mean, <clears throat> you know, we, we gave Saddam Hussein data you know, targeting data from the target chemical weapons against Iran that were made in Western Europe. Yeah. Like, so who's the fucking bad guy here? Yeah, I mean, the issue, I've sort of seen this, I mean, obviously, from the source of power, which is the U.S. government, and but also a little bit from some people on the left is, like, this deep need to moralize this conflict in some way that, like, these are the absolute good guys and the absolute bad guys. And in a broad sense, any colonial power is the bad guy just because stop fucking with other people's shit. Uh, but also, like, people trying to paint Iran as, like, this wonderful, like, prosperous thing is obviously not... Like, not, there are... When there's an all-out war, which I think we have... I think America is at fault for the underlying basis of this, which is, well, America and also going back, like, Britain, France, and all them are 
most directly responsible for causing this climate. But in this climate, nobody's the good guy. Because everybody's working with each other when it benefits them. Everybody's killing people when it benefits them. Like, we funded uh, Al-Qaeda, or not Al-Qaeda specifically, but... The Mujahideen and the... Yeah, the Mujahideen. We funded all these radicals, or I'm not going to say the word because Trump wants me to say the word, but I'm not going to say it. We funded people who ended up becoming terrorists because it benefited us at the time, and then we fought against... Then we benefit, or we worked with the Iranians to then go against the people that we had funded initially... But then they became our enemies and because we were fighting the other people who had been working with before. And then we had to work with them again to work the new people that popped up from the people that we worked with before. Like, it's it's all... Yeah, and that's why I take it... I mean, you you brought it. You, you, you said it just there, and, and I think I, I said it at the beginning. It's all in advance of empire yeah. and control of, you know, resources and people. And the fact that it happened... Uh, the fact that it always happens there should be indication of who's stepping in and who isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if this was happening in Mexico, you know, and Iran was occupying Mexico or, or, or you know, occupying a couple islands in the Caribbean or in the Central in Central America or Saudi Arabia was. Just or, look what happened in the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, I mean... They send anything to Cuba and we... It becomes a national security. Right, so... so and you got to think about... You know, and Iran has that all on all sides. Yeah. Yeah, there's like the, the map of the military bases, U.S. military bases around Iran. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to parrot like the right-wing talk of like, oh, Iran's no... They're no angels. But like the clear aggressor in this case, and basically consistently for the last 20 years at least, prob- realistically going back to at least 1953, uh, is the U.S. Yeah, and that's what most happened. Of the, most of the, this, most of, of the destabilization has been yeah. uh, from the United States. If we hadn't overthrown their government in 1953, none of this would have happened. Like, nothing, like... I mean, you can't do the... Ca- yeah. So, yeah, if, if Mossadegh would have continued... I, 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 yeah, correct. There's no counterfactual, but... Certainly, like that was the that was the precipitating event to lead to the seventy nine revolution. Yeah, yeah. If the fifty three overthrow hadn't happened, most like I mean, you never know. Well, yeah, what, what would have happened in the interim? But, but yeah, I mean, the certainly the that was one of the defining reasons that there was this revolution. Correct, correct. Yeah, and you see that most and, and the, the the destabilization is generally done by the United States. Yeah, it's either the United States. Or someone who's buds with the United States, at least for the last, since World War II. Yeah, and we've talked about this in here before. We sell arms to Saudi Arabia to allow them to to massacre Iranian proxies in Yemen, the Houthis. We still occasionally arm random militias just here and there. Well, like the the group that was attacking the American embassy, remember that? That's what started this whole thing. Um, Like, there were people who we'd been working with in the coalition to fight ISIS, just like, Months ago. Yeah, and, and they were upset that, that a drone strike killed a couple dozen people the week before, but that drone strike was retaliation for the contractor dying two weeks before that. Until somebody steps in and says, this is all fucking absurd. Yeah. It's never going to stop. You have to challenge the underlying premise of what are we doing What are we here? doing? What is it for? You know, and, and at least when, you know, I, was, uh, I don't know how it came up. Maybe it was the anniversary of something, but someone, somebody brought up Khashoggi. You know, we can we we just let him cut up a fucking report, a, a Washington Post reporter, and it's like we just we still sell them. I mean, 
Like like you said, they, they pay in cash. So what is this all for? Because I, I mean, personally, I personally don't feel any safer. No. I don't feel like yeah. I've just been waiting in abject terror for the last week, basically, for something bad to happen. I mean, I don't. uh, Yeah. I'll give you an example. Let's talk about this because people forget this. Some of you may or may not be familiar with Iran Air Flight Commercial Flight six fifty five. I think it was. I'd have to look up the number. Third of July eighty eight. So a commercial airliner takes off from Iran. Out over straighter home news. I forget where it was going. Kenya or something. Well, at, at about that time, some American attack helicopters were getting very close to Iranian waters in the Strait of Hormuz. So the Iranians take shots like warning shots. Like they're in contact with them. They're like, okay, what the fuck are you doing? A couple warning shots. Well, the warning shots now prompt uh, some sort of ship, gunship, uh, what the hell's the name of it? USS uh, Vincennes, I think. Yeah, Battle of Vincennes is named after that. So now the gunship is is going crosses into inter- Iranian waters in the Strait of Hormuz. Now they're in it. They're like they're they're in in the shit. The ca- the, the captain of, Horm- of the of the of the U.S. ship sees a plane, thinks it's a attack plane, shoots a missile at it. There's 290 Iranian citizens on it. It's a fucking commercial flight. So <clears throat> they do an investigation. He said, oh, yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't in uh, international commercial um, flight lanes. Well, it was. Luckily, we can, you know, we know that. Oh, it was coming down and making an attacking move on the boat. No, no, it wasn't. They were disoriented because they were making provocative moves near the Iranian border. And they killed almost 300 Iranian civilians in 88. Now, a non-state, a group of ragtag, non-state, Saudi-funded terrorists killed about 3,000 citizens of ours on September 11th. And we destabilized the whole Middle East for 20 years. Again, who's the bad guy? I don't, I can't tell. And I don't even know what it's for. Like, I don't know what it's accomplishing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been, uh, actually, yeah, the day after the strike against Soleimani, um, I was, you know, a little bit frazzled from all that. And so I decided to read a, a nice calming book that would, uh, make me feel nice. And so I, I picked up The Shock Doctrine by, uh, Naomi Klein. <laughs> Not, to yeah. always to feel in a better mood. At least, you know, at least you'll know what's happening. You'll yeah. be like, okay, I, I um, better understand. And I mean that, and she describes like, you know, some of the purpose of the Iraq war that the chaos is, it helps the people in power because when people don't have any solid basis, when people are panicked, when people don't know what's going on, that's when you can do whatever the hell you want. And so that's why defense contractors have been doing so well. That's why oil companies have been doing so well. Uh, Like, the power of capitalism is not the only thing that's happening here. There's a lot of jingoism, nationalism. uh, And some of it's related to the capitalism, but not all of it. Like, some people are just, you know, 
bona fide morons. But, you know, there's a big part of this that's been happening since that's why we overthrew it in 53. It was because they might be nationalizing their oil and we can't have that happen because it would result in the loss of profits for the British oil companies. So this is a part of it. You saw the oil stocks went up. You saw the depend stocks went up. Uh, we got very, very lucky that it seems at the time of recording that we've avoided an actual war, but we are on the precipice right there. And the only reason we really got out of it is because Iran decided not to do a proportional response. If they had done anything close to us that we had done to them, we'd be in war right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I know I read today that, you know, along with um, Soleimani, he was meeting a, um, uh, a Shiite commander, an Iraqi Shiite commander, whose name I wrote down. I'm going to make sure I, I know all you fact checkers out there. Let's see. Abu Mahdi. 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 Abu Mahdi. Um, so, the, like, the, the Shiite militias in Iraq... I don't think they're too pleased. They got nothing so far. Now, I did see just as we started recording that some rockets got fired into the green zone maybe 10 minutes ago. Yes. Um, but I know that happens periodic. I don't know. Yeah, that's... Well, and that's the thing is that a lot of these things that are happening, like the the issues that we were responding to in general are like things that happen fairly often. Yeah. Like there's always... There's a lot of missiles skirmishes, going off. Yeah. Skirmishes, people getting assassinated. Yeah. Um we were the ones who decided to like really ramp it up and actually like Iran's response was honestly fairly was all things considered very tame. Like it's, well, it's funny. not it's, out of the ordinary. It's very similar to what uh, the response in Yemen that's, that prompted Coons's ridiculous uh, venture onto uh, Fox weekend yeah. was to, in response to some massacre. Um, the Houthis bombed a, a Saudi oil field at night when no one, and they told him, Five minutes, ten minutes before to get out, whoever was there, and didn't kill anybody. It's it, it's it's very their retaliation, at least so far as we know it now, is seems similar to that. Just bomb some military buildings where nobody was. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I hope, I I I hope that. I, I I it's so ridiculous to say this, but. So they had, I don't know if you saw any of these today. I was following today when I was reading. They had some some briefings, some uh, some secret briefings for the Congress so the members of Congress could go and hear them. And it was supposed to, it was supposedly a catastrophe. Like even Republicans, like Mike Lee was just like, I'm embarrassed that they're, this is, they're, they're telling me this. I saw some Democrats that were just like, it's, it's sophomoric. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's stupid. But yeah, so the... The report initially after the killing from the New York Times that, like, the behind the scenes is that, or I forget if the New York Times or just some national security journalist said that the justification that they had uh, for him planning terrorist attacks on American citizens was that they had heard rumors that he was planning an attack and also he was going to a specific place. And so two unrelated things that maybe they could have put together to say, oh, he's planning an attack right now. When it turns out, according to the Iraqi prime minister, at least, that he was actually, in that particular journey, it was like trying to negotiate between um, Iran and Saudi Arabia to, like, reduce some of the tensions that had been going on there. It was an actual, like, it was a 
purely diplomatic mission. And there's no evidence that he was actually planning an attack. There was just rumors that he was maybe planning an attack. Yeah, and this is well known. I mean, it goes back. There's a section in the Filkin piece. Um, the Kuds tried to orchestrate uh, an assassination in D.C. of a Saudi ambassador uh, in the 80s. And after that, there was some talk about um, Suleimani, and, and they said, well, he's, he is not only, not only is he coordinating all of the different, and not only is he coordinating with Hezbollah in Lebanon and these people, and, and these people, and he's traveling on diplomatic, he's always moving around. And so we, we know we can get him, we can assassinate him whenever we want. It was right there in the 2013 piece in Filkins. It's like the, they, they knew, I mean, they knew that they could, I mean, just like, again, if, <clears throat> You know, American officials, State Department officials and CIA, they move around. It's sort of in secret. Sometimes it's, you know, not. I mean, are we just saying that if you're, you know, if the country thinks that the Department of the U.S. Department of Defense is an enemy of their country, that they can just assassinate anybody anywhere they want? Because that seems like what we're allowed to do. So I, I just don't understand the whole concept of it. And I think hopefully that when some of these sort of regular people start to see that like the, even the mask is coming off like they're not they're doing it wrong like at, for example the thing you put on social media last week with Colin Powell holding up the little vial at the UN yeah uh, it's you know at, at least the Bush administration went through the song and dance of they trying tried to a lot harder. they tried to pretend that Saddam Hussein was something so they took, and a, they talked about him beforehand too, which was the trick. Yeah, no one's ever heard of Soleimani before. Yeah, they sold it and sold it and sold it and sold it and sold it. So now what you're seeing is after the assassination, them trying to sell it after the fact and say, and and, and have um, reporters say, but is he a terrorist? But is he a murderer? Is he? Will you use this word? Is he a bad guy? What yeah. do you think? Wasn't an like, assassination. They're trying to manufacture consent. They're trying to do in, in, the, in the week after they assassinated Soleimani what it took him 18 months to do with Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Ahead of time. And yeah, I think it, I think it failed. Like, because A, they, they're so much worse at it. I don't know what explains how bad the media has been in terms of like being able to manufacture this consent. Uh, and B, the environment is so much different because we're basically at a point in partisan politics where if Trump says anything or Trump does anything, 40% of the country will agree with it and 60% won't. And so that is completely different than, say, 2001, where 9-11 just happened. Bush's approval rating jumped up to like 80%. Everybody was on board for whatever we were going to do to any Middle Eastern country, regardless of whether or not it was related to 9-11 or not. And so you could get away. So not only did they work harder, but they were in a much better environment. And now you have like MSNBC bringing on, you know, generals to say, oh, yeah, Soleimani was a terrorist and it's good that we got him. And to the credit of at least it seems Democratic voters, maybe not all Democratic politicians, but Democratic voters, they're just not really buying it anymore. Because that is the one nice thing about partisanship is that if we do try to get into a major conflict like that, 50 percent of the country is always going to be against it. Yeah, I'm hoping that this sort of, like the clown show and the way that this was done will sort of resonate with some with somebody and say this has to, you know, we have to reevaluate sort of what it is we're doing. I, I agree. It, it, 
I mean, I don't want to get too like ahead of myself, but yeah, it looks like it looks like this isn't going to fly. Yeah, you know, for now, for now, we don't know it's going to like the issue is that you never know when something huge is going to happen. The other thing is, again, I, I, I really mean this, and and I, you know, I say shit that's partisan and 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 divisive, and people think it's bullshit, whatever. But you know, if Joe Biden were the president. Whether we would have assassinated Soleimani or not is an open question, or Hillary Clinton. But the next provocation is going to cause the next retaliation. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing to believe that changing, that doing anything with Trump, you know, an embassy will blow up in Tanzania, uh, an airliner will be bombed in Malaysia, this will happen. That like, <clears throat> the only way. To, to take this reevaluation and to put it into practice politically is to get Bernie Sanders elected president of the federal. That's the only way. And to put pressure on everybody else to get Jessica Rain elected so that we can get out of this cycle of funneling money to the military to, to support empire and colonialism overseas to no end. Other than like it's our interest, well, it's not your interest, you know. It's the, yeah, the, the the guy who runs the Department of Defense was on the Raytheon board. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely in his interest. There's and no question about that. Chris Coons owns like millions of dollars. It's in Chris Coons' in interest. That's why he's... stock and they sell a bunch of money or sell a bunch of stuff to the military. Yeah, I mean, l- let's be honest. Chris Coons voted to uh, again he says he doesn't like the way trump talks and wants to be friends with republicans simply so he can continue funneling money to the department of defense amongst other things so yeah jessica rain is a big like the way to deal with this politically is something completely different because the joe biden's and the chris coons's of the world are not going to change this this particular flashpoint probably happened because you know Trump has pudding for brains, but that doesn't, that's not going to change the, you know, this escalation is very bad, but it's not going to change the fact that we're going to get hit somewhere at some time, unless we, in 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 some sort of meaningful way, show that that's not in our interest anymore. We don't have to do that anymore. And I think the only, like, again, all of these political candidates really are the only way to do that from a political standpoint. Yeah, I mean, especially with foreign policy, because if we talk about stuff like Medicare for All or Green New Deal, that's not something that, like, a Bernie Sanders president would be able to do by himself. Like, it's going to take very strong, like... So the difference between a going to war and passing Medicare for All is that if everybody in the country comes out um, for Medicare for all, like you get everybody coming out in the streets, uh, going to their send, like pressuring their senders, primarying people who are against it. Uh, that is the way basically to get legislation through. You have to put pressure on every point. But the issue with war is that if you do that, that's still no guarantee that anything is going to change because for better, or for worse, f- for worse, um, all foreign policy has basically been funneled into this executive branch. But the bright side of that, because the issue is that we've had people since, you know, JFK before, honestly, basically since, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, that have been either actively supporting the military industrial complex or 
aggressive American foreign policy or have been at least fine with it or maintaining the status quo. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe Wilson tried for a little while, but that's a whole... That's the There's, you know, small exceptions here and there, but for the most part. Um, so... But the benefit of that is that if you get someone in that office who is legitimately against war and is against this expansive foreign policy, that person has the ability to do so much more than any other policy issue. Like, there's only so much you can do with healthcare. There's only so much you can do with the environment. Even in presidential things, there's only so much you can do with certain powers. But the president is the commander-in-chief. The president has control is the civilian controller of the military so even if the defense budget keeps going up which is probably going to unless we get a lot better senators elected uh the president chooses what the military does and if that is not going to like there's only one person who is actually dedicated to reducing what the military does and that's bernie sanders well maybe i'll do this uh impersonation or or, or we can find it as a, as a piece of sound near the end of this. <clears throat> but I remember uh, during the 2016 debates when Hillary Clinton was uh, talking about Henry Kissinger being her friend. He said, I am proud to tell you that Henry Kissinger is not my friend. I don't, you know, he doesn't have, he, he's, it, it's, it's very clear just through that one interaction that his idea, you know, the, the, the ex-vice president of government relations for Raytheon isn't going to be the defense secretary. You know that for a, right off. The yeah, bat. you, so you don't have a, to worry. Right. So you, you you know that his first thought's going to be to de-escalate things. His first thought's going to be the 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 concept is going to be completely different, and that's really the only way this ever is going to change because so many things happen and it's so complicated. Like we were saying before, you know, they storm the the embassy, but they storm the embassy because of this these twenty four people being killed, but they were killed because. This one person was killed, and it's just yeah, and it's it's there's it's the it's culmination a, of like forty years of tit for tat. Yeah, and 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 look, that that's just where they're at. If you think that Iran, because of their geographic location, uh, is not going to continue to support Hezbollah, I mean, you're just wrong. And then you're just going to put because that's the other thing is the the sanctions that really cripple the people. You know that doesn't really help. That's that's a that's an escalation. Uh, it's really a war crime because you're punishing, you know, Iranian villagers and 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 cab drivers and you know plumbers uh, because you know you're trying to play some sort of geopolitical game, and and it's all for nothing. It's for nothing. It's funny because conservatives complain so much about government telling people how to run their lives. But then when it comes to our government telling millions of people how to run their lives over in the Middle East, no issue. Well, and that's the thing, too, is they, they generally It's a very base say, observation. But yeah. I no, feel like it, you need to say it. Yeah, you're right. And, 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 and the idea, um, you know, you, go, you can go on the Internet right now. And they they interviewed you know just regular people in the street at different uh, Suleimani. Some of them are very funny. Yes. Um, we can actually no, we can't have the clip because it's in it's in Farsi, Farsi so to, we would not understand. You would have to have subtitles. Podcasts don't have subtitles. Yeah. So, so but but yeah, I, you know they. Some of them have been funny, and some of them have just been like, 
look, we don't, we have no problem with you. Like, just, we want to, they want it to stop. They're having a conversation like Carl and I are having. They don't know why it's going on either. Like, they just want to move on with their lives. Um, now, they do have, you know, threats, external threats that they're fighting through things like goods. And, and until we decide that, you know, peace is more important than, you know, making a dollar, you know, if you can make a dollar off killing somebody nobody knows, will you do it? Uh, you know, until somebody comes in with a different sort of mindset, that's just going to keep just going to keep going. But but rest assured that um, the Iranian people, they're not dangerous. They're not a threat to us. Um, the Iraqi people aren't. Muslims aren't. Um, it's 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 a joke. The whole thing is becoming absurd. And I hope that people start to sort of wake up, start putting pressure on the senators, um, give to Jess Grain. This stuff could change. I mean, it's a, like, as you said, it's, a, it's direct impact. You can make direct impact by, by doing this stuff now. Yeah, and it's important to remember, just because for now things are fine, there's still a couple question marks at the end of this, like what the hell was that plane that blew up in the Tehran airport last night? still don't know what happened with that. Uh, I don't think that's going to be anything that leads to war. I think it was just a very weird situation, but you know, you don't know. And the rockets that in the green zone, we don't know. And also there's just the issue that any little thing that happens that's the could thing. set As you off said, another escalation. A, a, a couple of rockets being fired into the green zone or a couple of rockets being fired from you know Gaza into southern Israel or something. That happens from time to time. <clears throat> but now, because of this... Everything's like on a razor's edge now. And whatever, you know, prescription drug that uh, Trump happens to be abusing at the time could defend, yeah. depend on how he responds to it. So that's yeah, he's great. snorting powdered Adderall off his phone, fucking watching Fox and Friends. That, that's the guy who's in charge. Yeah. And so if we don't get new people in there, so if we don't replace people like Chris Coons that have been calling for war either and for, for years and we don't get rid of Donald Trump and replace him someone who's actually committed to not escalating these conflicts like uh, Bernie Sanders, then, yeah, we're always going to be right on that edge. And you never know when something's going to go wrong and push us into a war that's going to kill millions of people. Well, friends, I wish this was... Uh, wish we could we could speak about it in happier times, but... Um... Well, it's kind of we're not we're not at war. We're not. That, yes, that is good. We're we're not necessarily good. we're not necessarily firing at each other just quite yet. Yeah. So that yes, that is good. Um, for the for the time being, we're going to avoid mass casualties. Yeah. So no war with Iran. No war with Iran now or tomorrow. Uh, call your senators. Let them know we're not into it. Um, and you know we'll keep uh, we'll keep bringing this to you uh, as. As things advance or don't advance, as time will tell. Left is best, everybody. Talk to you soon.